Come on, let's clap our hands for Jesus one more time. Can we do that? Come on, clap your hands for him. He is absolutely worthy of all that we can offer him tonight. Amen. 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 God bless you. You can, you can be seated. I am uh, honored to be here tonight, honored to be in Beeville, Texas for the first time in my short life. It's not so short anymore, uh, but I have never, never been in these parts, and I'm excited to be here. I am, uh, been, I've, I've driven, you know, past you on the, on the interstate to, to Corpus, but um, I've, I've never been to Beeville. Glad to be here tonight, though, and I'm assuming the weather is not always quite like this. Uh, yeah, it's, it, was, it was sleeting in San Antonio today. Sleeting in San Antonio. They don't go together, and uh, it's very abnormal. Very, very cold, but I, I'm blessed to be here with, with Pastor Isaac and um, invited me to come last year, and I just wasn't able to make it. Um, but glad to be able to be here um, tonight and in the morning, and uh, glad to be here with you, you other uh, pastors that are in the house with us. We, we welcome you, and I'm blessed to have my son, uh, my son Mason, who drove me here tonight, and it's great when you have kids that can start driving, and, uh, and uh, I, I could relax and, and study a little bit while he drove me, and tomorrow night, or tomorrow afternoon, he will drive me home, and I will prepare for the four services that I'm preaching at my church uh, this weekend. Now, I'm already prepared for them, but as I as I I will look over them uh, and 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 apply it, get it deeper down into my heart on on tomorrow. I, I hope that you've come expecting to receive something tonight, because if you've come expecting to receive something, you will receive something. Uh, you will receive something. That expectant heart, that receptive heart. I. Every now and then, I, I'll have someone approach me after one of my services and, and say, wow, I mean, just, it was just incredible today. In fact, every time I come to church, I, I, I receive something from, uh, from, from the word that, that you bring, that God gives you. And, and uh, every single time, I say, well, you know that's much more about you than it is about me or, or, or what, what I was able to bring from the stage. Um, because the truth is, God is sovereign and he is able to speak to every single individual in this room, regardless of how old you are, what your background is, what you're wrestling with tonight, what, what you had to deal with today when you came, before you came into this house. Um, God is able to speak something into your spirit and speak something into your life, something that you can take home with you that will, that will bless you. He is able to do that if we come expecting, if we come kind of leaning in and expecting, like with anticipation, maybe even, I saw in the little the brochure tonight, you have somewhere to write things down. You know, it's amazing. I think it's much easier to go to heaven if you'll actually take notes in church. I just, I can't prove that scripturally, I don't think. I just... I just believe that. Uh, so I encourage you, as, as God speaks to you tonight, hey, write it, write it down and then reflect on it and share it with someone else. Share it with someone else. But I am excited to be here tonight, and, and I want to I talk to you a little bit. I, uh, a few years ago, in, in fact, I think now it was 2011, 2011, my family and I, I have two boys, this one here who's 19 now, and then I have a 15-year-old, but uh, we... We traveled to, to Cozumel, Mexico, to have a little vacation. And while we were there, 
We were staying in this, this kind of all-inclusive resort thing. It was very, very nice place to stay, very cool place, a lot of fun for the boys because they could swim in the pool and it had like a swim-up bar and they could get all the, you know, the f- drinks that they wanted to drink and, and uh, you know, be in the pool with it. And so they just thought that was the coolest thing. At that time, they were 11 and 8 years old. And and uh, we, we, were, we were snorkeling, if you've ever been snorkeling, you know, it's, it's where you float along the top of the water and you see all the pretty fish. And uh, there was a place right off of the, 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 the shore from this resort where we, could, where we could snorkel. And so we would snorkel every day. We would go out every day. And uh, Mason and I probably had the most fun. M- my wife, is, she, she tires of getting in and out of the water. And my other one at that time was eight years old. So he got kind of bored as well. But Mason and I, were we just had the most fun. Every day we would go and, and we'd snorkel. We'd walk way down and then you'd get in and, and kind of let the, 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 the current bring you down to, to, to the resort. And you would just snorkel all along uh, the rock wall. There was all sorts of beautiful fish to see. And um, so we're having, we're having the, best, the best time. One day while we were... I'm sitting at the pool, and the boys were out in the water. You know, they'd, they'd swim up to the bar and get their little drinks. And, and uh, I, I overheard some gentlemen talking about um, a, a night snorkel, a night snorkel. And I, ju- I just kind of heard this, and I'm like, wait a minute, did I hear someone say night snorkel? And uh, the thing is, the truth is, it was a, a lot of divers would come and stay in this resort, and so they would dive during the day, and then they would come at night, and and instead of just, you know, sitting around, they would actually do a night snorkel, get in the ocean after dark with lights on their forehead. And, and uh, so, so I, I was intrigued by that, like something was quick, quickened in my spirit. And I just kind of sensed that God was calling me forward into something that I had, you know, never done before. And, and so I, I asked, I said, hey, did, did, I, did I hear you say something about a, like a night snorkel? You get in the water at night. Oh, yeah, it's the coolest thing, man. You see things at night that you don't see during the day. And I'm like, I, I guess so. That's probably true. And, and, and I was like, well, how does it work? Like, well, we have, you know, we have these huge lights that we wear on our head, and it's just the coolest thing. And I'm like, dude, I want to do that. And, and uh, he said, well, man, come and join us. I said, well, you know, I think one of the boys was sitting there while I was kind of making these arrangements, and I could sense that they were anticipating and wanted to go as well. And so I said, could I bring my boys with me? You know, they're 11 and 8. And I'm like, yeah, man, there's nothing to be afraid of. Just come on with and I said, like, well, we don't have any lights. I don't like to have any forehead lights. And, and he said, we got extras. We'll, we'll take care of you. So we, we made the plans. We made the arrangements. And, and uh, we kind of set, set, set the plan in action. And we told, they told us where to come meet them after dark. And, and we'd get in the water together. And we would night snorkel. And uh, that, that evening at dinner, we were, we were, we were sitting at dinner. And, and it got dark. And and uh, you could hear the ocean out there. You couldn't see the ocean, but you could hear the ocean. I was sitting there at dinner, and I, I, I just felt this, this sense of dread, and like this, this trepidation rising up in me. I, I, I kind of felt fear, if you will, rising to the surface, because, and I literally couldn't hardly eat that night. I was sitting there, you know, it got dark, and you, no longer could you see the beautiful waters. You could hear them, but you could not see them anymore, and and, and fear began to set in, and, and and I can remember sitting there telling my wife Alicia, "Do you? I don't know. I mean, we don't really have to do this. I mean, I, she wasn't going anyway. But I'm like, boys, do you? Are you sure? I mean, do y'all do y'all really think you want to do that, or would you just rather kind of go back to the room? No, we want to. We want to do it. We want to, okay, okay, okay. 
So after dinner, which I didn't really eat, we went back to the <clears throat> back to the room, the nice little cozy room to you know get on our gear. And we were in the room, and it's comfortable, and it's it's cozy, and it's warm. And I'm thinking, there's the bed, and and you know there's the dark ocean out there. And even though I had sensed this this kind of this drawing to do this, I'm like, boys, are you are you certain you want to do? We yes, so no, you definitely want to do it. So we we okay, we get our gear, go back downstairs and we have all our snorkel stuff and we have to go out to this dark road and we have to walk about a half a mile up the road. No lights. Of course, we'd never walked this road at night and now we're realizing there are no lights on this road and you, you can hear the ocean off to, your, off to your left and you can hear it, but you can't see it. And the further we walked... Whew, the more the dread set in, and, and, and Mason, my older one, who is more like me, I, I, I could tell that he was having a little bit of fear as well about this, and of course, the eight-year-old, he didn't care. He was just happy-go-lucky. Let's do this, and, and uh, we, we finally got down. We, we plowed through. We, we considered turning around, but we plowed through, and we got to the place where we were meeting the gentleman, and we got into... Got into the water, and I'm telling you, I had anxiety all the way up until we got in the water. And, and wouldn't you know, that night the current was stronger than it had ever been in any of the days. And it was a strong current that night. And basically, I told Mason, like, dude, you're on your own. I'm going to, I, you know, just, just try to stay close. Because the eight-year-old, I, I, like, had him by the wrist and would not let him, let him go because the current was so strong. But... We pushed through the anxiety. We pushed through the fear. We pushed through the feeling of it would be much more comfortable if we just you know, stayed where we were, stayed you know, in the region that we're familiar with. If we would just kind of hang out in familiar territory, kind of in our comfort zone, it would be so much more safer. But we, we pushed through that. And once we got in the water, it is amazing the things we saw. I, I saw things that night that I had never seen, and actually to this day I've still never seen in all of the many times that I, I have been snorkeling. It was amazing, and it's another sermon for another time, it's amazing kind of what you can see sometimes in, in, in the dark that you can't see in the light if you will actually look. But, but what, I want to, what, what, what I want to point out tonight is the significance of us pressing through, pressing through our fear, pushing past our, our, our comfort barriers into some things that were unknown and turned out to be amazing, amazing. What I want to talk to you about tonight is simply this, forward, forward. Everybody say forward. Say this, there's more. You need to know that there is more out there for you. I've been kind of preaching through this concept at North Rock in San Antonio at our church there for about six months and actually called an entire series the beginning of this year forward because I knew and I feel and I sense that God is calling us as a church into a season of some incredible things, some good things, some magnificent things. And he's, he's calling us forward. But here's what I want to declare to everyone sitting in this room tonight. One way or another. One way or another, God is calling everybody in this room forward. He's calling you forward. The book of Job chapter 17 verse 9, Living Bible translation says, For uh, the righteous shall move onward and forward. Everybody say forward. The righteous shall move forward. Those with pure hearts shall become stronger and stronger. I love how this idea of becoming stronger is tied to moving 
forward in your life. And, and then uh, in Philippians chapter 3, Paul writing to the church in Philippi, and this is the, uh, the familiar passage where he says, I'm, I'm pressing on toward the goal to win the prize. But I want to read you the message version of this, of this scripture tonight, Philippians chapter 3, verse 14. Paul says, I've got my eye on the goal where God is beckoning us Onward, God is beckoning us onward to Jesus. And then Paul said, I'm off and running and I am not turning back. So God is beckoning us onward. God does not force forward in your life. He doesn't force you to move forward in your life. What he does is he beckons you forward. He, he calls you forward. He calls you forward in your life. He calls you forward in your ministry. He calls you forward into uh, new freedom, into, in, in, into uh, new passions, and, and, and toward new dreams. In 1 Kings chapter 19, I'll briefly share this. Elijah, this is where the old prophet Elijah locates a young man named Elisha. And Elijah sees something in Elisha that is special, that, that, that is potential, something that can be. And, and so Elijah walks up to Elisha and he throws his cloak over uh, the young man, Elisha. And, 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 and so doing signifies that, that I see something in you, but it's going to be up to you to pursue it. Elijah then pulls the cloak right back off and he goes on his way. So he presents the young man with an opportunity, but it was up to Elisha to make the decision, okay, I actually want to pursue this. And then Elisha wound up, he chased after, he ran after Elijah and said, I, I want to follow you, I just, I've got to take care of a couple of things before. And so he went back to his family farm, and it was a very significant farm, and, and, and he burned all of, the, all of his plows, and he, he slaughtered his oxen and had, had a huge barbecue. He, he literally completely divested himself of his connection with the family farm, of his connection with his past. And then he turned around and he pursued after Elijah and he became his servant. But Elisha was, had to make the decision, I'm going to follow. I'm going to move forward. It's up to us to respond when God beckons us forward. It's up to us. I want to live my life like Elisha. I want to live my life like Paul where, where Paul says, I'm, I'm off and running and I am not turning back. I'm not turning back. I want to I briefly go through here as we begin tonight the story, a story that's in, in the book of Genesis chapter 11, and it's this massive story, and I'm just going to be able to cover a small portion of it tonight. But Genesis chapter 11 tells the early, the early stages of the story of Abram. Abram ultimately had his name changed to Abraham. You, you, most of us know him as Abraham, but his name originally was Abram. And, and ultimately, Abraham literally is called the father of our faith. Like, he became a, 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 a huge hero of faith. God, I, I mean, Abraham did so much that God one, one day introduced himself to Moses and said, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Like, God introduced himself that way. But something happened early in Abram's life that almost caused him to miss the forward that God was calling him into. Genesis chapter 11, verse number 31. And uh, this tells the, the story of, of Abram's dad, whose name was Terah. And, and God called Terah to, to leave where he was living and to go to a place called Canaan. 
a place of promise. And in verse 31, the scripture says, Terah took his son Abram, his grandson Lot, son of Haran. And I, I just want to give you context here. When he said Lot was the son of Haran, so Lot, uh, Haran is Abram's brother. But at this point, Haran has, has died. Just a few verses earlier in verse 28, we are, we are told that while they were in the Ur of Chaldeans, um, Haran passed away. His dad was still alive. Terah was still alive. And, but, but yet his son, Haran, died. So Abram's brother, Haran, had died. So Terah took his son, Abram, his grandson, Lot, son of Haran. So this is Abram's nephew. And together they set out from the Ur of Chaldeans to go to Canaan. Everybody said they were going to Canaan. They were headed to Canaan. But when they, got, when they came to Haran, they settled there. And Terah lived 205 years, and he died in Haran. So he was headed to Canaan, and yet he settled in Haran. We could absolutely say that he died where he settled. It's okay, I want to talk to you about that just a little bit tonight. The day, the moment, the season that we get so comfortable, that we get so complacent, the day that we get to that place where we say we are just done is the day that we start to die. The day that we stop dreaming of the forward that God is calling us into in our life is the day that we start to die. And here's the rub. If you're taking notes, this might be something you can write down, all right? Here's the, here's the rub. God will let you live on whatever level your faith settles for. God will let you live there. Wherever you choose to settle, he will let you live there. Jesus approached a man one day who had been an invalid for 38 years, and he asked him, "Wilt thou be made whole? In other words, do you want to be healed? Why would you ask someone, Jesus, who has been an invalid, unable to really move and take care of themselves for 38 years, why would you ask them, do you want to be made whole? Because Jesus knows that some people are quite comfortable in their condition. Some people have reached the place where they're like, I'm good, I'm good, nah, I'm fine with this addiction. Like, it's, it's, it's become such a part of who I am. It's just, it, it's just me. I'm fine with this sin. I'm okay living in this, you know, unhealthy relationship. Some people are quite comfortable in their condition. And even though Jesus had deliverance, even though he had healing, even though he had a miracle, he needed to hear that this man wanted to be made whole. And he's got healing for you. He's got deliverance for you. He's got more for you. He's got miracles in 2019 for you. He's got some new freedoms in this new year for you. He's got a fresh anointing that he would love to place on your life. But it's going to be up to you to say, God, I want it. I want to pursue everything that you have for me. Let me, let me, let me, let me ask you. Let me ask you. Let me ask you, pastors. Let me ask you, church leaders. Let me ask you, um, wonderful saints. What have you been willing to settle for? Where have you gotten comfortable in your life? What have you gotten content with? Are you comfortable in your, in your calling as it is today? 
And even though God is trying to expand your calling, you're like, that, that scares me. I think I'm just going to hang back. And it's kind of dark out there. And I can, I can hear the ocean, and it terrifies me a bit. I think I'm just going to you know, stay where I'm comfortable. Uh, are you comfortable in, in your addiction? Is it just something that you, you, you've reached a place where you've tried and you couldn't beat it, and you've tried, and you couldn't beat it, and so you just said, I guess this is just who I am, and I'm going to have to live that way. Are you comfortable in your purpose? Again, maybe at some point you, you sensed that God had a purpose, like a significant purpose for your life, and even earlier on you were actually pursuing that purpose, but then you know chaos ensued and craziness happened, and, and you kind of took a step back, and, and now you're like, I don't think that will you know, ever really happen, and I think I should just be content with where I am. What, what have you allowed in your life to cause you to be complacent? What is it? Listen to me, you don't, you don't have to live. In your brokenness. You don't have to live in your sin. You don't have to live mired in, in mediocrity. You don't have to live that way. Tara settled in Haran. He settled in Haran. And Abram settled with him. Where, where is Abram? Well, he's in Haran, where was God calling them to? Well, he was calling them to Canaan. So he's supposed to be headed to Canaan, but he settled in Haran. Let me, let, me, let, me, let me share this, and I don't even know who this is for tonight, but somebody needs to hear this. If you hang out with settlers, you're going to wind up settling yourself. Like it, it matters who you hang with. It matters, and listen, it don't, it, don't just, it don't just matter to 15-year-olds. It does to 15-year-olds, yes, but it also matters to 50-year-olds. It matters who you're listening to. It matters who you're learning from. It, it matters who you are following on, you know, on, on Insta and just all up into and, and wanting to be like that person. It matters who you are hanging with. With. And you might say, no, I mean, I mean they're settlers themselves, but, but they're not going to make an impact on me. You, you, you're wrong. If you hang out with people who just want to settle and they're comfortable where they are and they don't want to move forward, ultimately you wind up adopting their, their, their mindset and you kind of adapt to their conditionings and you, you adopt their, their reasoning and, and, and you develop their cynical conversation, their, their caustic conversation. Forward people, people who are wanting to move forward into all that God has for them. We, we don't talk like settlers. We don't think like settlers. I've, I've had people ask me, I've had people ask me at, at, at North Rock, um, Pastor, <clears throat> when is the church going to be big enough like for you? When are you going to stop pushing for more people to come to church? Why, when is more, more, more going to stop being your mantra? And, and I, I, to be honest with you, I don't, I don't even understand that question. So I have trouble with answering that question. But I guess if I were trying to answer that question, the answer would be, I guess, when Jesus runs San Antonio, Texas, and everybody in the city is saved, when there is nobody else to reach, when there are no more marriages that need to be healed, when there's nobody that's addicted that needs that addiction broken, when there's, when there's no more people that need Jesus, I guess, I guess we can stop saying we, we want more. 
We want to go forward. I, I guess that's when it'll, when it'll happen. What they're really saying is, I, I, because I, I can read behind the questions. Pastors, you know what I'm talking about. We can read behind the questions. We know what people are really saying. I, I had something today that happened, and I, I, you know, I know what they're really saying. I know what you're saying. So I, I, when I, I can read behind the question when somebody says, man, when, are, you know, when is the church going to be big enough? What they're really saying is, can we just settle here? Like, I, I kind of like it this size. Like, isn't this enough? It's already bigger than, you know, you know most churches, and, 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 and it's already a little cramped in the parking lot, and, um, you, know, you know, the kids' space can get a little bit tight, and to be honest with you, now there's too many people for me to, like, know everybody's names. <laughs> it's just tragic. And so settlers say things like, when is it big enough but forward people? People who want to pursue everything that God has. Elisha's and, and Paul's. What they say is, there's more. There's more. There's still more lives that need to be changed. There are more people who need to be saved. There are still people that need to be baptized. There are broken people that need to be healed. Again, there are more marriages that need to be have the pieces of that marriage picked up and, and put back together. There are more addicts that need freedom. Forward people are like, yeah, yeah. It's, it's sometimes we're having to look for a seat. Yeah, yeah. The, the parking lot is, is kind of full. And yeah, I don't know all of these people, but, 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 but Jesus does. He, he knows who they are. He knows their stories. He knows their background. He knows about them. So I don't have to know every name. Hear me, hear me tonight, church. We can never, ever be willing to settle. We are pioneers. We are dreamers. We are, we are believers who will bet the farm and risk it all for the cause and the purpose of Jesus Christ. We are always looking for one more. One more. One more. Jesus was distracted by the one that was lost. And so are we. We will always be looking for one more sheep. Got 99. That's awesome. But one's lost. We got to go searching for that one that's lost. Jesus was distracted by the one that was lost. The lost coin. The lost son. And, 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 and his church must be distracted by the one that is lost. We will always be pursuing one more. One more. I want to... Look at this passage again one more time. Same, same passage, Genesis eleven thirty one. 31. Terah took his son Abram, his grandson Lot, son of Haran. And together they set out from Ur of Chaldeans to go to Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. And Terah lived 205 years and he died in Haran. I want to submit this to you tonight that it's quite possible. It's actually likely even that Terah had a sentimental attachment to a town that was named Haran that bore the same name as his son who had died. And so he lingered there. He settled there. In, in, in the pain of his loss, he settled there. Maybe he was thinking, we'll just hang out here in Haran for a few days, you know, kind of remembering my son that I lost, a time of memorial, if you will, and, and he wound up settling. Canaan was the plan. Canaan was the promise. Canaan was where they were headed, but he settled in Haran. Listen to me. When God calls you forward, you could write this one down. You must not linger in your losses. You must not linger in your Losses, because lingering in your losses will, will paralyze you. I, I know we're 
you know, a couple hours south of San Antonio, and I know that you know, Houston's up there, you know, kind of to the northeast as well. Are there any Spurs fans in, in the house? Any San Antonio Spurs fans? Okay. Is Beeville a Spurs town or is it a Rockets town? I, 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 it's a Spurs. Thank you. I knew I loved this place. I could sense it in my bones when I pulled into this city. We love our Spurs. We love our Spurs. Man, in 2013, I, I, I think it was 13, I was in my living room standing about, you know, five, four feet from the TV standing there because we were about to win. We were about to win our fifth championship. I'll never forget it. I was thinking, we're going to win our fifth one. We're about to go in our fifth one. It was game six. Game six. Some of y'all might remember this. I don't know. I've tried to erase it from my memory, but... But this crazy stuff happened. We were up by like five points with like 21 seconds left in the game. And through this strange sequence of events, um, somehow the Miami Heat, um, the heat, I think that heat has something to do with, with hell, something to do with Satan's power. I, I can't, I can't, again, can't prove that scripturally either. But you see the flames, you know, I, there's something to that. And and uh, 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 a rebound, and uh, uh, the Heat had the ball right at the very end of the game, and there was a there was a missed shot, and, and the Heat got the rebound. They missed another shot, and he got the rebound again. And and meanwhile, Tim Duncan's sitting over on the bench, and everybody's going, "Why is Timmy on the bench?" But anyway, but anyway, uh, hindsight twenty twenty. But somehow, this 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 basketball player who shoots really well, named Ray Allen, got 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 his hands on the basketball in the corner. This time, the Spurs were up by three, and he shot. And, 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 and he tied the game, and when he tied the game, and I knew it was going into overtime, at least as I recall, I, I, I knew we, we, were, we were there, and, and we, were, we were on their court, and I, I just had a feeling, had a really bad feeling about it, and sure enough, the Heat went on and won that game, and, and, and then they won game seven, and, and of course, the next year, the Spurs did get revenge, and they did get that, that fifth championship ring, <clears throat> but here's, here's what I wanted to point out. Literally, it took me... It was December. It was two months into the NBA season before I could even watch the Spurs. That loss hurt. I'm, I'm a huge fan. It hurt me so bad. I'm telling you, it hurt me to the core. It was one of those we had it in our fingertips, and we let it slip away. We just, we just let it slip away. What do the Spurs have to do? They, have to, they, they had to go right back to training camp. They had to go back in or in their offseason workout and then back to training camp and then hit it hard the very next year. They had to kind of erase, erase the loss so that they could move on into the future that we all wanted in San Antonio, and, 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 and they did. And they did. They won a championship. They had to erase that horrible loss, even though it took me. I'm not even a player. And, and, and I took two months to start watching them again. But they had to. They couldn't linger in that loss, not if you're going, not if they were going to pursue the preferred future that, that, that they were, again, hoping for. A baseball player, man, if you know baseball, a, ba a, a batter will fail seven out of ten times. The greatest hitters in the world only get a hit three out of every ten times that they bat. They cannot linger in their losses. And hear me, hear me, hear me, child of God. Hear me, believer. You cannot linger in your losses if God is going to take you where he wants to take you. It is so easy for us to linger in, in, in a betrayal. That moment where that person stabbed you in the back. If you're a pastor, if you're a church leader, there's likely been some betrayal in your life. People that you brought in, that you brought to the table. 
people that you gave the spotlight to, people that you put trust in, you gave them opportunities and, and turned around and realized they had, they had betrayed you. If we allow betrayals to cause us to never trust again, the enemy wins. We can allow breakups to, to paralyze us. We can allow pain, any sort of pain from our past, to, to paralyze us from the potential, from the promises, from the purpose that God wants to bring us into. You cannot linger in your losses. When you linger in your losses, the enemy wins. Because listen to me, when the enemy, when something happens that brings great pain to your life, you need to know that the enemy is not just in it for that momentary pain that you're feeling. But his, his thoughts and his, his plans are way more diabolical than that. He wants that pain for, for you to carry that pain into the next season of your life. The pain from this marriage or this broken relationship into the next marriage. So you project pain from there onto a, a, you know, a new re relationship or, or, or a new husband or, new, or a new wife. His, his plans are diabolical. His plans are diabolical. And the truth is, we don't start even really healing from pain in our past until we start moving forward. And when we start moving forward, it's amazing how those things from your yesterday, they just begin to fade. The, the breakups, the betrayals, the, the, the pain, the, the, the loss that you experience, they just begin to fade. Sometimes pain from our past will we'll, we'll, we'll change, change our faith. It will tame our faith, if you will. I heard someone say, I heard someone say, use the phrase domesticated faith. Domesticated faith is, is, is dangerous. We don't need tame faith. But there might have been an era in your life when you had crazy wild faith, man. Like you believed God for anything. Like you would charge hell with this, this bottle of water and you didn't care who was in your way. Like you was out to just pursue God's purpose, God's plan. You, you, you wanted anointing, you wanted freedom, and you were pursuing, you were working. But then something happened. A loss, a breakup, a betrayal. And, and, and you still have faith. It's just tamed faith. It's not faith that causes the devil to shudder. See, the enemy can't take your calling. He, can't, he cannot take your calling. He cannot. He can't do anything about your relationship with God. But he will work as hard as he can to get you to allow things that happen in your life to just domesticate you to where you're, you're still coming to church most of the time. But you just, you, you're, you're having trouble really believing. You still, you know, you would still say that God is a healer, but when it happens in your house, when there's sickness in your house, you know, deep down that you are struggling with really having wild and crazy faith. Let me encourage you. <laughs> Let me encourage you as you enter into a new year. As you enter into the, the you know, the, the, the next 11 months of this brand new year to, to allow your faith to rise to leave losses behind, and to develop a crazy faith. I'm talking about a faith that causes people to look at you and go, you want to, you doing what now? I say, what now? You're doing what? Y'all are, what are y'all going, what? what are, 
where people look at you and say, there ain't no way that's going to happen. That's the kind of faith that God wants us to have. I'm talking about impossible faith. South Texas needs churches full of people who have ridiculous faith, full of leaders who have crazy, wild, untamed, completely undomesticated faith. People who have big dreams and are pursuing impossible scenarios. Galatians 6 and 9, let's not get tired of doing what's good at just the right time. We will reap a harvest of blessing if you don't give up. Just move forward. Tara lingered in the loss, and he died there. Now, I'm not going to go into the rest of the story, but I will just kind of put a bow on it. Immediately after Abram's dad, Terah, died, God called Abram to leave, and Abraham got up. And he left, and he ultimately, literally just a few verses later, Abram was on the move forward into the promises and the purpose that God had for him. And, of course, he did. He, he got the name changed, and he became a great nation, and he was crazy blessed by God. Now, I want to share another story with you here that builds my faith as it relates to forward and, and, and moving forward. Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9, New Testament, verse number 27. Many of you have heard the story many times, and actually, I mean, so many times I've heard the story and preached through this story, and yet there's something that jumped out at me uh, back in, in August of last year that I had never really thought of before. As Jesus went on from there, the scripture says, very popular, and, and, and people following him and pursuing him for miracles and whatnot. <clears throat> As Jesus went on from there, watch this, two blind men followed him. Two men who were blind followed Jesus. So the two, blind, two men who could not see with their physical eyes were following Jesus forward. And they were calling out to him, have mercy on us, son of David. Watch this, verse 28, when he had gone indoors, the blind men came to him. They weren't just following him through the streets, but these men who could not see physically didn't just follow him through the streets, but they actually, he went inside and they followed him inside. How, how, how did they follow him though they could not see? Let me submit to you tonight that these blind men followed him because they were not going to allow what they could not do, what they did not have, to keep them from the future, from the forward that they were dreaming of. They refused to allow their weaknesses to keep them from the preferred future that they could see through their eyes of faith. They couldn't see physically, but they could see spiritually. They were blind, but they could see. They were determined to move forward in spite of their deficiencies. One summer, uh, when we first moved to San Antonio, my wife was, was, was working and um, I, I had the boys, my two boys, throughout the entire summer. Um, and, 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 and I got, about, about August, I got really tired of them. And, and I was really ready for school to start back. And, I mean, I just, but by about Thursday of the week, I'd be like, if I have to try to figure out one more lunch for these little punks, I am going to pull my hair out. And, 
And I was so worried. I love them. They love me. They understand. But, but uh, one of these summers, uh, they, they, I don't even remember which summer it was. I know they were quite, quite small, but <clears throat> we're always wanting to go putt-putt. I always want to go play mini golf, and, and, you know, it's really hot in San Antonio, and, and I don't like to go, I don't like to get out, you know, in, in 98-degree weather, um, you know, that August heat to, to, to do that sort of thing, and, and so I, I, I heard them uh, rumbling around upstairs one, one, one day, and I know that Mason was at the, the forefront leading this charge because Britain was quite young, um, but, but uh, I, I went up there to see what he, they had been doing, and, and Mason had built... This full-blown nine-hole little putt-putt course or, or mini-golf course upstairs. He had done the whole thing himself. He had used all sorts of things. Like, like we, we didn't, obviously, we didn't have actual greens and, and, and cups to put holes in, but, but, but he had created his own barriers. He had got, like, shoes out of their closet and created them as, as bumpers, just like a putt-putt course would have or a mini-golf course would have, all of these neat little things. So he, he, took, what he, he took what he did have, and, and, and he created this incredible opportunity, and it, lit, and it, was, it was a blessing for all of us because it, it like, took about two days of their life, and, and so we're all blessed by that uh, you know what I'm saying so then I don't even think they, I don't even think you had a, a ball I think you used a little a, a, a ping pong ball or something or maybe you maybe you had a, a golf ball I don't remember but but they got up there with a the little putter and he t- walked me through every hole he had videoed every hole we still have video footage of, of, of that stuff it's and it's fun when we get to when we get to look at it but the bottom line is he they didn't allow what they could not do what they did not have the ability that they did not have to stop them from the preferred future that they wanted that they were wanting to experience. Listen, as God calls you forward, you can write this down. Stop focusing on your problems. I dare you to stop focusing on what you don't have, your problems, your deficiencies, and start focusing on your possibilities, what could be, what might happen. These blind men used what they had to follow Jesus. They could not see, but I guarantee you they had an incredibly heightened sense of sound, and they were listening for his voice. They were probably the best listeners in the land. They could probably out-listen just about anybody around, and hear me, you might not feel Feel like you have ability. You might not feel like you have education to step into what God is calling you into. Listen to me. God's never going to call you into something without equipping you with what you need. He'll give you the resources. He'll give you what you need. Stop focusing on what you don't have and start focusing on the possibilities of what could be. You might not feel like you have enough money to do what God is calling you to do. Step out in faith and just watch what God does. Give him what you do have the five loaves the two fish that you do have put it in his hands and watch how he blesses it and he starts to break it and it begins to multiply stop focusing on your problems the sooner we can lift our eyes pastors the sooner we can lift our eyes Christians off of what we don't have and open our heart to the possibilities that God has for us that he's placing before us the sooner we can step into the forward the forward, that, 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 that new season, that new freedom, that new anointing. So these blind men followed Jesus inside in verse 28 of Matthew 9. says, when he had gone indoors, they came to him. And he asked them, watch this, do you believe that I am able to do this? Do you believe that I 
am able to do this. Yes, Lord, they replied. A lot of times, um, a lot of times we tend to ask the wrong questions. As God is beckoning us forward, and we're, we're, we're answering the call and taking steps forward, or we're, we're considering taking that, that plunge, or we're considering getting in the ocean after dark, a lot of times we ask the wrong questions. And when we ask the wrong questions, it leads us to the wrong conclusions. A lot of times we look in the mirror and say, how can I, how can I do this? How can, how can I, I mean, I'm, I'm weak, I'm, I'm broke, I don't have a lot of talent, I mean, I, I don't have a great education, I don't feel like I have the necessary resources, and Jesus says that's not the right question. You ask the wrong questions, you get the wrong answers, but if you ask the right questions, it'll lead you to the right conclusion. The right question is, do you believe, Jesus says, that I am able to do this? Do you believe that I can do this? And when you ask the right questions, you'll get the right answers. Absolutely, God. Nothing is impossible for you. Nothing is impossible for you. Years ago, my, my father-in-law took us, this was before my boys were even born, took us camping way up in the mountains of New Mexico. And, and my father-in-law is like a Boy Scout, like literally he's just a crazy Boy Scout. Like he knows all the knots to tie and he can, you know, build a fire out of two pieces of wood. I mean, he, he, he's like the ultimate boy. Like he could survive out in the wilderness for weeks on end. And, and I, alas, am not a Boy Scout. I, I was once in Boy Scouts. I went on a camp out and it rained and water came in the tent. And I'm like, I'm out. I'm done with this. I ain't ever doing this again. I could be home in my bed. I'm not going to sleep in a tent with water running through it. And, and, and so I, I, I left Boy Scouts behind, and I just played ball. But, but, but my, my father-in-law's a Boy Scout, and so I can remember being on this camp out way up in the mountains, and we had seen, uh, it was summer, and we had seen signs of bear close by, and I've got anxiety about, about the bear and whatnot, a little, little bit of fear. And then I remember that my father-in-law, he's right over there in the next tent, he's right over there in the next tent. And the truth is, I had all this anxiety about this, about this trip. If my family had asked me personally to take them uh, to the mountains and, and, and take them camping alone, I'd be like, uh-uh, no, no, we're not. But, but, but oh, my father-in-law, John, Johnny's coming? Okay, we'll do it, as long as he's coming. So I, I didn't have faith in my ability, but I had, had faith in my father-in-law. As long as he's there, it's, it's all going to be good. It's all going to be good. And, and, and I was fine. And the truth is... Some of us are afraid of our future. We, we have anxiety about our future whenever your father holds your future in his hands. Some of us, some, some, somebody in the room is wrestling t tonight with, with the future of your child. You're struggling with where your kid is right now and maybe grades or what they're dealing with right now. And you've, you, you've got anxiety and you're lying awake at night afraid of your child's future when you need to know that your father is holding your child's future in his hands. You don't need to be afraid about that. I know it's hard for you to understand it, but he loves that kid more than you love that kid. He does. Some of you are afraid. You might be in school and you're afraid of, uh, you know, the whole graduation thing and, and, and college coming and decisions you're going to have to make. Or maybe you're in college and you're, you're realizing you're going to have to start adulting very, very soon. And, and that terrifies you a little bit. Listen, don't be afraid of your future. Your faith's not in your future. Your faith is in your father and he's holding your future. He's holding your future. Don't be afraid. Ask the right questions. Jesus said, do you believe that I am able to do this? And they said, oh, yes, we do believe. And he touched their eyes, 
and said, according to your faith, let it be done to you. And their sight was restored. Their sight was restored. This is the final thing you can write down tonight. How you perceive him affects what he can produce in you. How you perceive him affects what he can do with your life. How they saw him. I mean, like they were willing to pursue him in spite of their physical deficiencies. They were willing to push past, push past that and, and to pursue him. And they received their, their healing. Their healing. If I'm closing here. If someone wants to play here. And I actually invite everybody in the room to stand with me all over, all over the room tonight. What is, what is the forward that God is calling you to in your life? I said at the beginning, everybody in this room, one way or another, God is calling you forward. And my gut is that, that you, you know. Like deep down, you, you know what it is that God is calling you into. Maybe, maybe you need to rededicate your life to him. Maybe it's been a long time and you were in a, in a close relationship with, with Jesus, but you're, you're not anymore. You know that. Maybe you were pursuing purpose, his calling in your life, and something happened. Something happened that's paralyzed you and you're no longer pursuing his, his purpose. Maybe you're stressing over a child and God's wanting you to lean on him and trust him with the future of your teen, your student. Maybe, maybe you're wrestling with some sort of bondage, some sort of addiction. You need to know that you're in a place tonight that you can have complete freedom. And God's calling you forward. He's beckoning you forward. Pastor, maybe God is calling you to have big faith and big dreams about your church and what he can do this year. 2018 was tough. You dealt with some losses. You dealt with some blows. Join the club. But I'm not going to let that stop me from pursuing one more lost sheep. Doing everything that I can to create space for lives to be healed. I'm, I'm moving forward. We're taking territory. We're taking ground for Jesus. Maybe, maybe God's just trying to draw you, draw you forward. As we close tonight, I got one more scripture to build your faith. One more scripture to build your faith. Matthew chapter 13, verse 54. Coming to his hometown. Jesus began teaching the people in their synagogue, and they were amazed. He came to his, back to his hometown. Where did this man get this, this wisdom and these miraculous powers? Verse 55, somebody said, isn't this the carpenter's son? So Jesus came back to his hometown, and they recognized him. Somebody, somebody recognized him and said, this is, this is Joseph's boy. His mother's name is Mary, and aren't his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and, and Judas? Verse 57, a few verses later, what's this? They took offense at him, but Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor, except in his own town and in his own home. 
And verse 58 said, he did not do many miracles there because of their lack of faith. Remember, how you perceive him affects what he can produce in you. He did not do many miracles there, the scripture says. That means he did do some. Just not a lot. Because many saw him as a carpenter and only a few saw him as the Christ. If you see him as a carpenter, you might get your house fixed. But you, if, if you see him as the Christ, you can get your life fixed. <laughs> Do you understand that he has all power in heaven and in earth? And he loves you more than you could ever even imagine. And that, that thing that you carry, that you, that you brought into this building with you tonight, he wants to take that off of you. He wants to supply you with the freedom that you need. He wants you to leave this room tonight with your head held high. Do you believe? Do you believe? Do you believe? And according to your faith, according to your faith, let it be so. Let it be so. Everybody in this room has a forward. And just kind of signifying our desire to step into that forward. We're going to open these altars. They're going to play. They're going to sing. And I want to invite everybody in this room. If you want to step into the forward that God has for you, whatever that is, and it's, it's going to be different for everybody in the room, I want to challenge you to step out from your chairs and come and stand in this altar area with me. Would you come? Would you come? Would you come? Would you come? Come on, open your heart. Do you believe he is able to do it? Do you believe? Can you see him for who he really is? Lord Jesus, we open our heart to you tonight to receive from you. Whatever it is, Lord God, parents who are wrestling with anguish and anxiety over their kids, pastors struggling, Lord, with dreaming and stepping into forward, teenagers wrestling with their future, God, we surrender every single need, every single circumstance, every single challenge. We surrender them to you. God, we want to step into the forward. We want to step into that freedom that you have for us. God, I pray right now that we would open our hearts and we would open our minds and we would receive from you what you want to do in this room tonight, what you want to do right now in Jesus' name.